0: You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast: conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.
1: Where i um, going to get started, if you'd like to settle in and finish off your conversations. <laughs> um, so, welcome everyone. My name's Kate. Um, I'm the creator and mediator of this evening's discussion, Transitioning for Survival. Um, Before we begin, I would like to start with an acknowledgement of country, but I'm going to do this a little bit differently this evening. Um, I'm going to begin with a quote by a woman called Catherine Little, who is an Arente and a legit woman, a journalist and an activist. She says... To not know your country causes a painful disconnection, the impact of which is well documented in studies relating to health, well being, and life outcomes. It is the knowledge of one's country that enables one to identify who they are, who their family is, who their ancestors were and what all of our stories are. We are indistinguishable from our country, which is why we fight so hard to hang on. In the spirit of tonight's conversation, which is in part about discomfort, as I acknowledge country, you might take moments to observe any feelings of shame, any feelings of grief, and any feelings of anger. But also in the spirit of this evening's conversation, you might think to your own embodied connections to land. You might think about your own ancestors, um, how certain environments make you feel. Um, I've often said that I am my own best self in nature. Um, And you might also observe feelings of celebration because Australia houses the world's oldest continuous culture. Something else that you might observe is a feeling of excitement, because this present and emerging First Peoples, through activism, through voice, through education and through art, are calling on us to make a transition between significant exclusion toward inclusion between disconnection and to a more intricately relational embodiment of and to land. And so I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Bunwarang and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. And I recognise their continuing connection to land to waters and to culture and I pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging and I would also like to welcome any First Peoples here with us this evening. Um, Before I talk a little bit to what we're going to be discussing tonight, this um, transitioning for survival, um, I'd love to take a moment um, to introduce these wonderful women that I'm sharing this space with this evening. Um, They're going to speak for themselves. I don't believe in talking to at people about who they are and what (laughs) it is they do, Um, but just by way of name, we have um, Lucienne Shanti to my right, followed by Sarah Aiken and the wonderful Candy Bowers, who's joined us um, just on a whim today. I feel we're very lucky to have all of them. Um, Lucienne, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh,
0: Sure. Hi, I am Lucienne. I've... um been teaching yoga for the past 10 years which is how I met Kate Um, that's been my constant for as long as I can remember and uh, the the last few months I'm um, transitioning into teaching meditation so that's my kind of transition at the moment moving a little bit away from yoga and uh, diving deeper into teaching um, and facilitating um, meditation practices Um, thank you for having me and uh, look forward to the conversation.
2: Um, my name's Sarah Aiken. I'm I'm a dancer and a choreographer. Um, I've been making work, com- coming on ten years, um, in a whole bunch of different contexts. So I work collaboratively with long-term collaborator Rebecca Jensen. We have a project called Deep Soulful Sweats, which is like a astrology-themed-led dance party, a lot of participation. Um, And I also make my own work, which kind of recently has been looking at things like assemblages and the kind of the myth that we're one organism trying to zoom out and lose sight of myself and also zoom in and see the complexity of each individual as an ecology and how that relates to... ...living within an ecology and our failures there. Um, Yeah, that's enough.
3: (laughs) Candy? Uh, Yes. Um, So interesting. Um, I have been... uh, I'm a poet, essentially. And um, I've been doing different things with poetry for a while... ...but also uh, in the last three or four years running... ...the art of decolonization workshops... ...and I make everything from a decolonized feminist frame. Um, my background is that my parents came as political refugees... ...from South Africa in the early 70s... ...and uh, there was just a curious moment... ...after a very assimilated and white supremacist um, upbringing... ...and um, education. I went to NIDA and studied to be an actor. Pretty much exclusively white male art... And I got curious in the year after, realising that uh, I'm very much a part of the world and Indigenous to South Africa and wondered what was going on everywhere else and began to get very curious and moved into those spaces which took me outside of the mainstream, but I was also inside the mainstream. So I've done some extraordinary things <laughs> um, That I think it's weird. I feel like I'm one of the few artists that are able to do it because of my cultural understanding um, and languages. But that's not always, like, (laughs) high concept. That's, like, taking naughty juvie kids, Polynesian, Aboriginal and African kids, to see um, Bangara at the Opera House as part of the juvenile... um, detention scheme that they had for a while and you know plenty of times people like who's the instructor who's the facilitator Uh, so for most of my practice I've been um at a vantage point of being outside while being inside so I feel like uh it places me in a really interesting space and um at the moment, I'm, I've just signed with an agency in Hollywood, so um, it's really interesting to me that as this sort of insider-outsider, it's a voice that's being sought after globally, but certainly not at home. And so it's a really interesting time to um, see, you know... And, and with an amazing spike in, I've seen the African diaspora explosion across the arts, but... Um, what acceptability is, what assimilation means, um, what it means to know where you are as a migrant and a visitor that's not white, uh, but also is white because my background's mixed. So I feel like my vantage point is quite interesting uh, and also the, the space of understanding land is is a big part of that too, and about a big part of my practice. So I've mainly been writing hip hop and spoken word theatre, and now film for young people, with a core allegory of apartheid, and also um, reclamation, decolonisation, radical feminism. And now Hollywood want that, which is crazy, right? And we're gonna we're
1: gonna try and cover some of that <laughs> this evening. Um, yes, so. Um, Thank you, all of you, and welcome. It's so wonderful to have you all here tonight. Um, So tonight's conversation, Transitioning for Survival, was actually born um, uh, when a statement was made during Damon Gamou's documentary, 2040. He said, transitions are awkward. Transitions, we're talking about change, we're talking about process, we're talking about a very physical... Um, undergoing a a passage between things. Damon at the time was talking about how essentially whole industries are going to need to shut down, such as our our coal mining industry, that that was then going to mean a loss of skills, but also, yeah, the need to learn new skills as we create more sustainable industries. Um, I thought to such women as I I have beside me today. Um, It's actually quite beautiful. One of my friends, Jo, is um, here in the audience tonight and she was with me when we watched 2040 and I said, oh, I have an idea and I want to speak to these women and I want to speak to artists. Um, But I essentially, I wanted to talk to you guys tonight about how you nosedive. These women really seem to nosedive very physically into transition, into process and into change and in many cases I would suggest um, push for and demand change and at the same time all the discomfort that actually comes with that. These women's practices and giving them and I would suggest therefore the arts uh, gives them a platform to speak to issues like climate change and I think that moves us all away from the modern piety towards the sciences. Um, and of course, those voices that always tend to have privilege. Um, so let's get started. Questions, provocations, the whole thing. Um, I actually want to start with the awkwardness. So if we're going to talk about transitions... Um, I want to talk about the awkwardness and the vulnerability first. Um, I probably should have warned you about that. We're just going to nosedive in. I feel like you can do it anyway.
2: Um, if you warned us, it wouldn't be awkward. I it's know. Kind of,
1: I know. I know it's that's true. That's true. But maybe maybe I'm I'm kind of interested in the embodiment of vulnerability as we go. We're going to get very meta. It's
3: my favourite. <laughs> yeah, <well> I, <laughs>
1: I know, right? I thought you'd be okay with it. Maybe not all of us, but we'll see how we go. Um So the awkwardness of transition, we're talking to things like vulnerability, about unpolished works, about feeling like a little bit of an amateur sometimes, and and a sense of floundering that can come up too when we're transitioning. Sarah, I'm going to start with you. (laughs) It's
2: like, wow, you just described my whole life. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, you were great. Well, this is going to be fun. Um, So I was privileged um, recently to actually like literally take part in a work that you did last year called, What Am I Supposed to Do? Wasted, Um, which suggested to audiences now is not the time to sit back and watch. um, That asked us to reflect on our cultural inertia and the hypocrisies of trying to be good in the face of climate change. I wanted to ask you what it was like, um, to essentially kind of navigate, um, any awkwardness and vulnerability that came up from all of these audience members, these differing audience members every night who literally participated in the show, um, how you navigated non-performers, um, what awkwardness you might've experienced and, and maybe cultivated, Yes, for the evening. What was that
2: like? Um, It was a lot of things. So I made the work with Rebecca Jensen. We work uh, quite closely together. And that particular work came out of a a really long history of of participatory work. But we really took it to another sort of... We normally get people to dance with us. This time we really got them to perform in a really different way. Um, And I think... The reason we keep doing participatory work is because it is so uncomfortable. You tell someone you make participatory work and they run a mile. Like, it's terrifying. And I don't even like participating. But I think it's it's so interesting because, yeah, because people have to come to terms with they're making decisions all the time, I guess. And we, in the process, spoke almost constantly about how to facilitate that decision-making process for people and give them the autonomy to to say yes, but also the freedom to say no without feeling like they were being disobedient. There's so much... In, maybe it's just Australian audiences wanting to be very well-behaved and, like, serve the work and, and be helpful and good, but... Sometimes, that, I mean, that's not consent if you're just doing it because you think you have to. Um, so we, we spent a lot of time in the process talking about how we could give people an entry that was, that was loose enough. But we were also talking so much about participation because we were making it work about climate, which is obviously affecting us all, and how to, yeah, play with the, the tension between holding ourselves accountable... Um, and I guess the, the power hierarchies that exist in this conversation. Like, if we ask people to come into the work and perform a small role they don't want to, that doesn't mean that they're letting the whole work down, just as, you know, you use a plastic cup, you're not, like, fucking up the world. It's much bigger than that, and it, our individual roles matter to an extent, but we need to look at the systematic and kind of um, structural things that are really fucking shit up.
1: Yeah. And very visceral moments. Uh, like I actually had to hold a block of ice at one point on stage as it was dripping into a bucket. And I remember feeling, you know, the sort of the palpitations, both of kind of being on stage, you know, oh, I haven't done this in a while. But also, oh, my God, I'm responsible for this block of ice. And how do I, how do I feel about that, given particularly that it is melting, <laughs> literally melting in my hand? Hmm um candy yeah. yes um so i've i've um i've read a lot of interviews um with you uh with you and um sbs guardian i also um remembered just today that um i'd heard your crew in edinburgh um talk to the guilty feminist which is one of my favorite podcasts of all time um in a lot of the interviews um that i've read you've spoken to your experiences of um Literally being excluded uh, from work in Australia. And that's everything from the texts that you mentioned before, what you were studying at NIDA, cisgendered um, male and European texts. So you were excluded there. But then also um, doors were closed uh, in auditions because you didn't fit the demographic. Mm. Um, Given that transitions are a very in-between place... I was wondering if you could talk to some of the vulnerabilities and discomfort between desperately wanting to make work. That was something that came through in so many of the interviews that I read. You know, you were so passionate. You wanted to make work. So the discomfort or the vulnerability between desperately wanting to do that and then realising you were going to have to make your own if you were going to have the opportunity to do work.
3: Can you talk to that? I, I think it's a real clash, crashing, 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 heart you know smashing into a thousand fractals when you realise that your parents moved to a country that is not that different to the country they came from and I think that was heartbreaking for them too so I hit the apartheid of the stage and screen industry pretty hard coming out of NIDA and I wrote word at work about that before anybody was talking about it right before we went Why does TV look like that? Or why does the stage look like that? We're only just at the tip of really working out why the fuck it looks like that. And I even had a really radicalising session with the Equity Diversity Committee that I've been on for seven years and they're just finally realising they're trying to apply meritocracy and egalitarianism and socialism to a fascist body fascist regime, right? Which is, if you don't look like this, you don't get to play the romantic lead. If you don't get, look like this, you don't get to even have a family. We're okay with an Indigenous person on a mainstream TV show as long as they don't date anyone that looks like them or have a best friend that looks like them or even has a dad or a mum that looks like them, you know, shade. So <clears throat> to actually get people, particularly people of colour, to face the fact that they're being excluded is heartbreaking to sit in a room and i get to do it all the time which i love and work with teenagers from minorities who are all pumping hearts wanting to do what i do then sit with professionals that all look like me or from similar spaces or a disabled from an intersectional background they're all pumping hearts want to change the face of australia and say <clears throat> australia is not going to change by your desire and dream it's going to change by structural and systemic um, smashing down and burning down of patriarchies that keep us oppressed. And they think, how wh- how do I impact on that, you know? Because that's not... Just being good at what they do isn't going to shift anything. And that's my journey. And so when I look at these kids and I'm seeing history repeat again and again and again, um, and then I look, at, look across Australia at the artistic directorship of all of our, say, just theatre companies, um, it's pretty disappointing. So... What's not working is us all looking in the mirror and going, fuck, I'm best, you can do it, Mm. right? What's not working is people in those positions going, we don't know how to change this. And it's like, wait a minute, you're in the power seat. Mm. So what does work is what I learned is to be really loud about it and to be the loudest while I'm inside the building. Um, So... I don't stop being black or queer or gender fluid just because I've gotten a role at the MTC. Mm. But a lot of people do. And a lot of people have bitten their tongues for so long their tongues are bitten clear off. If we aren't inside of our, you know, highest artistic um, institutions discussing, challenging, opening up, we're not going anywhere. You know, I know there's an investigation currently into bullying and racism inside of our drama schools. Um, Last year, I was the first black woman from the African diaspora to direct a play by a woman from the African diaspora in Fucking A by Susan Laurie Parks and everybody was so like, yeah, we're down, we're down, we're liberal, we're down, let's do it. But wow, as the stuff hit, um, the shaking began and that's the point at which you see people double and triple down or open out mm. and it's always amazing cuz students of course they're the ones opening out but i'm like trying to also teach them discernment mm. so i said controversially none of you guys ever have to do a play written or directed by a white man if you don't want to i don't do that anymore right you don't have to and there was what what do you mean? I was like, you can exclusively work with anybody you want to work with. But if you want to be successful, you have to, there's, and I went, and they said, oh, um, the industry, the industry, if you want to be successful in the industry, and I'm like, whose industry, Hannah Gatsby's industry or this industry over here? Which industry do you want to be a part of? We now have multiple and we have space for everybody, but the cogs up the top are struggling with that notion and i love the idea that someone like me has to remain very open-hearted to folks that have been pushing me out for my entire career and all people like me but when when i bring up the notion that you could exclude the, exclude them from your cv oh wow
1: and it's it's amazing yeah. sorry that <laughs> you talk about like you actually physically went the yeah. shaking you know that there is an embodiment of you know, um, discomfort when we're talking about these transitions again that we're all having to make. And crap, you know, that it's the people, as you said, who have been um, completely and utterly discounted that have to rise. Yeah. yeah, And say, come on, guys, let's engage in this difficult conversation for
3: change. And I think that it's really old and um, a really simple and old notion, which is to ask the first people, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, to look back, to Mm. move forward. Mm. And there are prophecies written, hundreds of year old, that cross Koza and Shona and Mari and Birigaba and Mohawk and Cree First Nations people of seeing things like the wildfires and the mass destruction Mm. of a looking back. But it's like, how fast can you move to that? How quickly can you let go of that thing that feels like security because, you know, you can be holding on for life and then you w- look at your hand and you go, oh, wow, I've been burning my flesh, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and and it's even, yeah, it's so many things that reconnect and I know that fear and I feel that fear every time I use my phone and I think, I you know, we can all be using our phones and imagining a little Congolese black child's hand mm-hmm. because it's artisanal to cut through coal train and coal bolt, bolt to get the things we need for electric cars mm-hmm and all the things we think are environmentally friendly, still the cost comes down to the fact that more children died in the Congo making our electronics than in Gaza. So the idea of like how we shift this, for me and the work I do, and I say it a million times over, and I go into artistic institutions like the Art Centre and the Opera House, and I stop work and I say, okay, uh, I need to find out your, your granny's name and your mother's name. Because in balancing what we've got going on here, we need to connect to each other in order to do the work,
1: right? Yeah, and we're we're going to talk about that a little later, Yeah, which is going to be fun. Um, uh, Lucienne, hi, haven't forgotten you. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. It important too. I'm really looking forward to um, talking to Lucienne uh, a little bit later about, um, I guess, what I would suggest is the gifted way in which you approach transition through yoga. However, we are talking about vulnerabilities and awkwardness at the moment. Um, Thinking about your work as a facilitator of breath and of movement, of stillness, of course too, uh, and as you put it recently, of service. Uh, What awkwardness or vulnerability do you observe in others or perhaps even... um, choose to embody yourself when you're on the mat where does where does this awkwardness and vulnerability come up on the yoga mat
0: well I think that it's always there especially you know I a lot of students are coming in new and have never practiced before and feeling uncomfortable but I I think it's important to always preface that We have to allow ourselves to experience the whole spectrum of human existence, and vulnerability is one of them, and awkwardness is one of them, and fear is one of them, and discomfort is one of them. And if we decide to reject all those that we uh, kind of perceive as negative, there's a lot of our self that we end up suppressing. We don't even get to experience the abilities that we have because we're suppressing such a a great spectrum of existence so as soon as you can allow yourself to be in an awkward place or an uncomfortable place or a place of challenge or whatever it might be you'll notice aspects and parts of yourself coming forth that never would have so then it becomes this beautiful thing like what am i capable of what am i what what, what can i do that i didn't perceive i could and and i see this in the, in in the yoga sphere all the time people coming oh I didn't think I could do this I didn't think I could do that and it's like yeah of course you can you know you just change your perception and you allow yourself to be in that um, space of not knowing and and all this amazing stuff comes forth Um, and speaking to that space of not knowing there's a lot to know in not knowing you know we think if we've got the answers all the time you know we're set but letting go of you know, control and answers and all that sort of stuff creates this beautiful space, and then within that space, there's endless possibilities. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to discovering, not knowing, and there's a lot of information in not knowing. And I suppose this is um, what I encourage students to um, to embrace when they're you know, on the mat or in a meditation session: to sit with whatever arises and with an unbiased attention I suppose um, we don't want to judge any experience that arises and we'll learn more from it that way as well mm. so yeah you, you know and as a facilitator and a teacher I don't know what's going to happen in a class when I walk into a room I don't know these people I don't know uh, you know what's going to happen so I'm always in a space where I have to let go of control and, and allow ...for whatever to unfold and, and deal with it in the moment. Um,
3: and... Can I... Add, sorry. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Because <laughs> I, um, f- for a few years, host, uh, was the vocalist in Circus Oz... ...and then had a comedy act where I ended up lifting a woman above my head... Um, ...which I thought would be funny but also is actually weight trained... ...like it's actually strong woman... ...like my... ...I couldn't do some yoga poses for a while because I beasted out, right... And then I hurt my piriformis because two guys jumped on my back while I was lifting... Because they looked at my body and they went, she's been doing this for years. Okay. And I was like, no. <laughs> and so I'm very aware of the pain I feel in certain moves. And what you were saying about knowing and not knowing, I'm very aware that pain, the physical pain, I can't escape, whereas I seem to be able to escape it sometimes in, in life. When I'm on the mat, that pain is like, remember me. You know what I mean? It's right in there. And are you saying not to interpret it as pain or just to feel the pain? <laughs> yeah.
0: I think we've got to be discerning with, pa- with the difference between pain and discomfort. Okay. And I think on the mat, a lot of the time we experience discomfort and call it pain. Yeah. So I will say, you discern the difference between pain and discomfort if it's pain, there's information there, right? And that information is saying there needs to be a shift. There needs to be a transition. Okay, so you okay. Gotta, right, so you've got to listen to that, yes. that That and go, all right, I need to make a shift. Whether it's a physical shift in your body and in, talk, in yoga, you know, talking in a yoga class kind
3: of um, spectrum, you could use a prop or you could ask for assistance. Okay, okay. So that makes me think about this quote... Um, that I love I'm back around to Russell Brand I know there might be non-believers here but I'm back because <laughs> I feel like he's working on men and men need the work and I fucking love I'm a little bit fetishy about men working on men right now I can't stop I can't stop but Brené Brown did an interview with Russell Brand and I used this quote and I'm trying to work out if there's a link Um, Father Richard Ross said this, and this is why I think I make theatre or write poetry at all. Um, Pain that is not transformed will always be transmitted. So I see that coming from where I've come from intergenerational trauma-wise, but I'm also interested in how physically that, like I.E., Tending with the map versus not being on the map means you're not transforming or finding that information out or doing anything with your physical self. But then, if I could ever apply what you're talking to um, to the things I face as barriers, like white fragility or misogyny or you know possessive like rape culture, all that stuff, I'm always wondering how that in effect is the same thing or, you know. Over to you, Alicia.
0: I mean, I I can't answer that and I I can't speak to
3: that. And I wish (laughs) yoga was the answer
0: to that, but it's not. And, you know, on a small scale, I think pain is just, like I said, it's information. And what we do with that information is up to us, Right. So we can choose to respond to the pain that we're experiencing and decide to shift something or change something or do something different or we can choose to suppress it, repress it, ignore it, keep pushing it to the side and therefore it gets stronger and stronger and more painful because it wants your attention.
1: And, and I, I actually, in fact, this is a beautiful segue into something that I actually wanted to propose to all of you, noting that there is um, attention to process And to discomfort and um, awkwardness, all of those sorts of things in your work, is this a reason why we do it then? Is this a reason why, yeah, if we're creating a show that's going to bring up all of this process and awkwardness and transition, I'm, I'm asking, is this a reason why you might invite these sorts of transitions and process and awkwardness and discomfort and vulnerability into work? Sarah, do you want to ho- hold the mic for a minute? Why do,
2: why do you do it? <laughs> I can't think of anything else to do. No. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, I think it, it is partly that. It's, it's like it's interesting when you don't know. Mm. When you know what you're doing, then you're just like doing the same thing and that's mm. – then you, then you may as well just get a job that actually pays money. Mm. <laughs> So I think, yeah, that 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 constant questioning is why I do it because I approach making work very analytically and, yeah, I think I'm really drawn to those places that I don't have an answer to. And, yeah, the, I mean the whole work um, wasted, what am I supposed to do, was like, we didn't give anyone the answers. We don't have the answers. Like, it was just, like, we all know this feeling of, like, what am I supposed to do? I care so much and I'm so worried and affected and I still don't know what to do. And one of it was, like, one of the reviews was, like, because we did a show the day of the big climate rally and one of the reviewers was, like, made some, like, smart-ass comment about how we know what we need to do. We need to go to the rally. I was, like, yeah, I've been going to rallies for fucking a decade. Like... We're all trying and it's not working. So it's like how how to deal
3: with that frustration and that kind of panic. It's interesting though because I just um, um, supervised on a Masters which was about uh, an Aboriginal artist who looked at protest and he was very much in that. Nothing we're doing is working. We've been protesting Australia Day since 1938, Day of Mourning. But it is. Mm. It actually is. And it's hard to see sometimes. You know, and, and... and the labour and the, f- the tiredness is there, but by doing that and him actually doing his masters mm. is a gift for people to see everything in a line and to see, I mean, the freaking rise of the young feminist radical Aboriginal illustrator on Instagram. Mm. That is real. Yeah. And the world's hearing about our, us in and this country. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it is, but it's sort of like, the frustration is the, do you think, like the government and the policy and those mofos, but also we might be giving them too much, in a way, too I, much. I've been thinking, it's, it's, a, it's a very
2: unformed thought, so sorry in advance, but I've been thinking about the relationship between climate despair and white fragility and and I think that they're related and this kind of like a, a, attraction that I feel towards like nihilism and, and panic and giving up and just being like, well, fuck it. We're going to go extinct. I'm like, imagine if, imagine if the Wurundjeri had said that when there were like 18 people left, like,
3: I just I actually grow said up. Yeah, my sound, my sound guy at the opera house who couldn't find mic belts. And I was like, come on, bro. These are, you, there's one style of mic belt. I don't believe you. I said, look at the task like a black woman and go and find them. The next day, there were 12 different types. That concept, and I know it's tough, we've got it on a T-shirt, you know, walk around with the confidence of a mediocre white man. That's why I'm loving Russell Brand, because I'm actually concerned about entitlement. I actually think entitlement makes you incapable. It stops you, um, you know, from having a bunch of tools in your toolkit. And that's where it should, like the idea of fragility is different to vulnerability to me. And I don't want to get into semantics too much, <laughs> but the idea that you can't be active in a time of crisis, mm. like that goes against every bone in my sort of political history and body. Um, that there's a sense of like, I'm I'm tired before the game has even begun. Mm. Um, not getting your hands dirty because you're f- afraid you're going to fuck up. Mm. All that stuff, which I think is enculturated. um, And, you know, like dropped, like I've read the plays, I've studied white culture, I know you're all back to front, right? (laughs) I grew up in Australia. I was like, culturally, we're setting people up not to have the tools to work in a crisis, right? If we were all on picking teams and it was the end of days, I'm wanting black people, I'm wanting Latinos, I'm wanting trans women on my team Mm. because they have survived through a barrage of bullshit. Yeah?
1: Yeah. And I think something that you've all actually just commented on is the fact that, well, each of your work, in a way, asks more questions, which, if we think about what a question does, right, is it then asks us to think and to move forward into a next question. And this thing of, um, I suppose, the gift of hindsight. Sure, okay, we're not where we want to be yet, but... And maybe it's very, very bloody slow, but with the gift of hindsight, yeah? Maybe, maybe. Are we moving fast enough, though? Um, Lucienne, um, so um, I hope I'm not putting you on spot a little bit here, but um, we had this beautiful conversation, Lucienne and I, um, over a cup of coffee before this evening, a couple of weeks ago. And Lucienne asked, why? Why me? Why? Why have I been invited to speak on the panel, which was beautiful, which is beautiful. And I, have, I had an answer then, and I have an answer now. Um, so I've spoken a great deal um, to the way Lucien teaches yoga, in particular, flow, which is another word for transition, right? Between pose and pose. We're dealing with the between again, the transition. Um, and I've spoken in a way that mirrors a great deal of what other people have had to say about Lucienne's flow. Um, the word that comes up, of course, is sensual. Oh, <laughs> sensual, sensuous, um, pleasurable. One of my favourite words is yum. I find her, her um, flows very yum. They're very yummy. Um, and I suppose, you know, we, we've been talking about the awkwardness, yeah, of transition, But I'd also like to consider another possibility. Um, How do you make transitions pleasurable, Lucienne? How do you make that jittering space that Candy so beautifully articulated in her body before, how do you make that pleasurable?
0: You do what feels good. (laughs) (laughs) And I spent years teaching yoga the way I thought other people wanted me to teach. Mm. Um, And then I, I... was resisting teaching in a way that felt good to me and eventually that got far too tiring and I thought fuck it I'm just going to teach what feels good to me and as soon as I started to do that I started to develop a quite a unique style that seemed to resonate with a lot of people who'd walk out of the room and say that just felt so good that just felt so good and I just constantly the echo of it felt good and I I look back at a lot of the yoga that I did and it didn't feel good it just did it felt really um linear and and kind of just didn't didn't a lot of the one pose to another it didn't fit anyway I could go on and on and on and and I just thought how can I find a way to make it all fluid and fit and it meant not doing what a lot of other teachers do it meant not following rules it meant not doing what I thought was right um and really finding a way to to ...create that flow between pose to pose and, and, and there's no magic formula. You're in a, a place and while you're there, you decide what's coming next from the place that you're in. And that changes every time and the, the practice, the poses, it'll meet you wherever you are... ...and as long as you keep letting the practice meet you, you can make it feel good. If you're trying to fit the practice, it's not going to feel good... If you're trying to put yourself in the practice, um, it's not going to feel good. So you have to make it fit you and not, not plan it as well. Not think too far ahead. Um, be in the moment. And I always say to students, linger there. Linger here. Stay here for a while. Let it feel good. Let the sensations surge. Let it kind of rise and, and then let it dissipate and settle. And then we'll move on to the next thing. But we won't know where that is mm-hmm until we've really experienced the place that we're in. Um, so my classes are slow, they're very fluid um, and, and my overall intention is always to feel, to feel good, to feel something and, and um, a cue that I, I always say is if it doesn't feel good, don't do it and listen to yourself. You're, no matter how new you are to the practice, no one will ever know your body better than you. Um, and your body is going to give you all the information that you need to move forward. But you're not going to hear that if you're thinking too far ahead or behind. Mm. So if you can stay where you are, sit with whatever emotion is arising, whatever sensation is arising, whatever, whatever, whatever is arising, all the information you need is right there for the next thing. But you just don't see it if you're too far ahead of yourself. Is
1: that... um, Thank you. Yum, yummy. Um, sign up for Lucian's classes. They're really delicious. Um, Sarah and, and Candy, delicious and yummy, and all of the things. Um, oh, took, yeah. yeah, well, with I us, really uh, yeah. we'll do we'll do a yoga session after this, right? Um, uh, Candy and um, Sarah, um, does any of those words speak to I suppose your experiences of transition and? And then possibly at any point in time being pleasurable. And, and in fact, I was actually thinking about things like reviews. Sarah, you mentioned a review before where you're like, yes. Um, and Candy, I was also thinking about, you know, the pleasure of maybe pissing people off by subverting the norm. You know, like pleasure doesn't just have to be a delicious, yummy thing in the body, right? Has there ever been pleasure in discomfort and transition?
0: I just want to quickly add Do something. Do it. Get in there. Confidence isn't knowing where you're going or what you're going to do, but it's knowing that you're going to get through it. Mm. So just you think that if you're in the in-between, there's awkwardness and there's discomfort. The way to make it fluid is embodying confidence and it's not because you know where you're going or what you're doing. It's just because I know I'm going to get through it.
1: Mm. Any pleasure, ladies?
3: I mean, the most subversive work that's toured the world for me for the last six years is called Hot Brown Honey so of Mm -hmm. course (laughs) it's where everybody comes because they want to see brown girls titties and they get a whole lot of politics it's like the most brilliant thing we've ever come up with me and my sister um and I remember at Woodford the first year we did it and the elders we did we did the First Nations tent first and we have um I know if it, people haven't seen it, we've got um, women from Maori and um, in Torres Strait Island, Aboriginal backgrounds, Samoa and Africa, China. And, um, you know, we've been around the world with the show now. So New York, Sweden, Sweden twice. What? What are the Swedish getting? It's exciting, isn't it? Um, everywhere, really. And um, what's phenomenal... So the work's gone on my sister's artistic director of it now. Um, it's a really interesting notion of what people want and what they think they want and all that sort of thing. So um, uh, the show opens with my sister with Big Afro and she says, guess who's coming to dinner, motherfuckers? Fuck the patriarchy, right? Who thought a show like that would tour the world and win all the awards? We won, nominated for a helpman, won a helpman even in Australia. It had to win awards overseas before we won the Always. Australian awards, right? yeah. But um, what I think is interesting in the sensuality of it in what our jobs are as storytellers on our side of the fence is that once you have a group of people in your hand um, the alchemy and mercury and sensuality and eroticism of that can be the very thing and I've seen um, I, I feel like when I direct like directing at the VCA it's such a wonderful experience I talk about two parts consciousness and one part craft which again makes the faculty go all craft all craft you know and I'm like oh no I'm teaching these guys about a part of history, about seeing something through somebody else's eyes. Um, they dedicated the work every night. And so um, for me, um, the, the emotion and the higher consciousness and that sensuality is vital for change, mm. is so vital for change. And um, I remember this woman at Woodford, which I don't know if people have been there, but it's for like rich hippies, right? So it's like I drink chai and I think about the world and I wear thousand dollar you know linen you know, <laughs> jumpsuit Camilla yeah. things to show that I do that anyway um, so this woman came up to me and she was so angry and um, and the other cute thing was the indigenous elders so we did all the naughty tents as well as the first nations tent I was the first nations tent I was like oh my god this is intense aunties and uncles I and mean, we are so rude Literally in the show intense. so oh, rude yeah. right and then they were like we want to be in the front row of every show <laughs> So they came to the burlesque tent really like at 1 a.m. And they, <laughs> they were like, we're ready, right? And it was like, and they were watching because they loved seeing our politics through the, 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 the lens of it. Um, but also, yeah, this woman came up to me and she said, I'm so angry with you. I feel like you're attacking me in your show. And I was like, wow, because we all just got together and went, we've never seen ourselves. We certainly haven't seen ourselves naked let alone being silly, being funny, um, you know, giving the finger to tourists, to all the things we wanted to do, Um, we never thought – we didn't really think about anybody else's gaze. We just did it in ours and what made us laugh. So for this woman to go, you're attacking me, you know. And I said, okay, cool, where did you see the show? Which night? Because I was also thinking, was it the night I went really hard on that person? Or She goes, I saw all of them. And I was like, what what do you mean you saw all six shows you went – to every show she goes yes and I kept bringing people with me because I was like watch this what do you think and I thought you saw all six shows and you hated it she goes yeah and I was like fuck we're gonna make so much money (laughs) amazing amazing yeah Um, she just loved to (laughs) suffer
1: (laughs) (laughs) well I mean you know I think that that's even a really interesting you know comment slash story you know along this line of you know could transitions actually be kind of pleasurable and yummy too, this kind of suffering state could be, um, and it's something I was hoping to get to tonight, but like a a state of aliveness, it's still a state of aliveness even
0: if we are in discomfort, right? Right. Think about where that takes you, though. Right, and then and then you start to embrace it. You go, I'm going to be uncomfortable for a little while, but fuck, I'm going to come out so much stronger yeah. and so much more capable of so much more. yep you
1: and know? that's it, it's a. I've got like three extra questions, but it's not going to happen because I want also to hear from you guys. But um, to kind of finish off before we do go into some audience um, questions, and we did start a little late, so I'm kind of hoping we can go a little bit later too. Um, We've talked to, so this, this, the whole thing tonight built on the idea of um, transitions are awkward. We've talked about awkward uh, in transitions, in moments of process. We've talked about the possibility of that also being pleasurable, that there is some sort of possible state of aliveness, more questions that can come from discomfort. Um, But we haven't talked about survival Transitioning for survival, that's the name that the tonight's conversation is all about. Um, in part, when I'm asking about survival and marrying survival with transitions, I'm asking us to consider the gifts of transition, of vulnerability, and of awkwardness. Um, but I'm also asking about the quality in which we want to survive, yeah? Because we're also, we're marrying this conversation with artists, with people who have embodied practices. We're marrying this with our climate crisis. What kind of quality of survival do we want to have? When you you look up the synonyms, you can tell I'm part English teacher, part writer, part many hats. But when you look up the synonyms of um, survival, you get... um, Anything from endurance, which to me feels like, like I'm trying to run a ma- marathon and I'm, I'm exhausted and I'm puffing, yeah? But you also get vitality. When you look up survival, the word, in your good old thesaurus, you get vitality. So I'm wondering, and this is to all of you, um, keeping in mind we'd love to hear, of course, from the audience too, um, what gifts have you observed through your arts processes, when it comes to transition and survival. And I, of course, not just arts processes, but also um, through the embodied processes of of yoga from dance. So transition and survival. What are the gifts, if any?
0: I'm gonna throw another word in for survival, um, adaptability. For me, I think the ultimate health is adaptability. And so, I want to survive in a healthy way. And so, in order to survive in a healthy way, I have to constantly be adapting. Um, And adaptability for me, and that I I gain through my practices and my work, is um, mobility, flexibility, durability, malleability, and then ultimately sustainability, Mm -hmm. right? So, that for me is survival, surviving with ability, which in turn allows me to survive with health.
1: Which, interestingly, so many of the words that you use then, like sustainability, right? We are part of this discussion that we are having, which is why the whole acknowledgement of country, we are um, connected to land, our bodies. When we're talking about sustainability of land and process, we also have to consider, you know, ourselves in that dialogue. Sorry, guys.
2: I think... I keep just thinking about sustainability um, and every time... Someone says it because it's, you know, like 10,000 times a day. Um, I'm like, what are we sustaining? Like, which bit? Because uh, there's, what, cause there's a heaps of stuff we're doing really terribly and I don't want to sustain any of it. Yeah, um, so yeah I, I think maybe there are other words we could be using because I don't want to sustain. Like, I sometimes I look at my culture as a white person and I'm like, what's good? Mm. Like... What's worth keeping? And I, I struggle to find things that I want to sustain. Um, yeah. Is that a gift in itself that's come from your work? You know, you're marrying
1: that thought with your work. And is that a gift which then maybe you've imparted to us? What do we actually want to sustain?
2: Yeah. And I guess that comes from that, that uncomfortable place where you're like, I actually don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I feel... Uh, uh, weird and a bit embarrassed and I'm making shit up or I'm like just going with my first impulse and then noticing what that was I think that gives people hopefully a tiny little opportunity to to notice how they behave just when you, someone was talking before I was thinking about um, the experience living in the city when there's like a really hot day or a really like the weather is doing something awful and I'm always I always really love those days even though I'm like it the it brings you know the terror right up front but it's it exposes so much of how people see the world and each other and how willing they are to um willing or unwilling they are to be part of a community and I feel like those those days when everyone is like just struggling to do the things they normally do when it can't be like business as usual um that it exposes the people who are filled with entitlement and it exposes the people who are filled with generosity and optimism. Um, and I, I think maybe all the participation we try and do is there's something similar there. It's like make gonna... people really hot and
3: they'll have to think oh, yeah. differently.
1: <laughs> Candy, before um, we move into questions? Yeah, yeah. The, um,
3: I also listened to Black Girl Therapy podcast and there was a woman on who works in hospices and she, the, the episode's called How You Live Is How You Die. ...and um, I've been uh, an activist for most of my life. My grandfather was a trade unionist... ...and the first coloured leader of a political party in South Africa... ...so it's in my blood. And, you know, randomly... ...like when I was in LA doing all the commercial stuff... ...and working out how to place little black girls central in fairy tales at Disney... Um, ...I also met Patrice and Damon from Black Lives Matter. And we talked a lot about care for ourselves... And um, it's indisputable in this country and around the world that First Nations people, that women, that trans women um, live under a lot of stress. And the number one factor for um, black folks dying earlier around the world is racism. It's stress. It's being in stressful environments. For me, that means I can identify that I can no longer work in Australia. It's an oppressive environment, yeah? And... In identifying that, which is one of the biggest things I've ever come to in my life, um, finding an alternative space where I can see women of colour in positions of power Mm -hmm. all across the board from production to EPing to all that, braids and froes for days. It's something that might not be considered and I know a lot of young people don't consider it here either. Um, Just seeing yourself, for me, is replenishing. So when I do one the Bear at the Arts Centre and 3,000 kids come and all the girls of colour are screaming on their feet, um, there's one line, it's like my feminist rock star moment because, you know, boys, if you watch, watch TikTok, I have to watch a lot of teenage things because I'm writing for them. It just fucking dominate, dominate, dominate. And in the one of the most heartbreaking moments of the show, I'm wearing quite an s- amazing bodice made by Sarah Seahorse and the guys are all going, woo, <laughs> like all these teenage boys. And I'm like, fuck you, you know. And the girls are like. And then in the flip in the last scene, there's a moment where um, the character that's sort of like come from low comes up and she's been listening to the aunties, to the sister sows. Uh, sorry, we play bears, yeah. And she says, um, all this I got from the sisters. They also say, never be defined by the misters. And it's literally a show stop. We have to wait till the girls sit down again and stop cheering. And um, I'm like, this one kid at one question time said to me, is this show for girls? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what does everybody think? And one girl's like, I think it is feminist. You know, they're so fucking cute. I can't even. But I said, is the football just for boys? Um, is WAFL just for girls? And I was like, let's let's break down gender a little bit and start talking human to human. What did you get out of it? What did you get? Friendship. I like the beats. Da, da, da. So it was like, do we have to attach it? And what if it's a message? Um, and that for me, when I talk about being filled, is seeing young people grapple and um, hate and love and find a way through, like my friend's kids, she's got a 10 year old daughter, like a big blended family and a 17 year old hunky like surfer boy son. And then like um, Haley's, like a white girl that grew up in the uh, Geelong. And the whole family loved the show. Uh, Zee even made his way to take to, to the opera house to see the show. So I was like, this is exciting for me when I can cut through and make something accessible enough that remains political and radical Um, But young people can't get enough of. And it teaches me that all the systems and structures that say people like me aren't leaders or uh, don't really, um, you know, won't be held up there with Shakespeare or something. All of that begins to be dissolved. And I know the truth and really radical the word means the root and the truth of. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Um, We started just a couple of minutes um, late but I am also aware that there are people who have to go home but I'm getting a thumbs up. Um, We love thumbs up. We're transitioning now into, see what I did there? Um, I'm a total DAG teacher, clearly. Um, Transitioning into audience participation time or questions. How awkward. I know. I know. I've I've fought for years actually to not be awkward because I always have questions that I want to ask at these discussions and I've gotten to that place where I'm like, yeah, me. So if you're that person who has a question for any of our beautiful panelists, wonderful panelists, highly intelligent panelists this evening, um just pop your hand up and we'll come around. Oh, yeah, we've got Erin here for you. thinking maybe to um, how the arts might lend a voice to this discussion on transitions, survival, planet, thinking on your own yoga practice, if you've got one. Yeah. Um, Candy, you mentioned um, about how Australia like, brutalises people and, and literally makes their life shorter. They're obviously very vulnerable, those people, um, and I think it's maybe a different use of the word vulnerable. In terms of, like, survival and vulnerability and survival, they're similar words, but I think they mean different things in that context. How how do you help them transition to a place mm-hmm. of strength and survival?
3: Um, personally, I found um, creating platforms for joy, like I definitely find... ..have found Hopper and Honey in particular has created a visibility which means takeover-wise at the Arts Centre or in Edinburgh, we've seen more and more black women central and winning awards and being seen. And I think that um, when I've worked in community and working with my friend on his masters and all that sort of thing, there's nothing like reflection. There's also nothing as sweet as Sunrise having to make billion-dollar payout to the Yolongu community. That's fucking sweet, isn't it, (laughs) motherfuckers? But it's also then very bitter to watch them interviewing Lizzo and never see her get interviewed by a black woman in the media. So she's such an powerful, um, you know, entity in the media for all of us. And I think the more we see, um, you know, um, Kate and and um, Mojo Juju and we're that place of like... I, I do a class called Decolonize and Moisturise as well with all of their music running at the bottom of it. Sampa the Great, uh, win the first person to win rap album the first category, it's a black woman. Um thank fuck because you know I grew up with white boys in hip-hop and it isn't right. <laughs> it is not right. So those wrongs, I think that's what I mean. I see a measure of those wrongs being turned around mainly by queer black mm-hmm. folks, gotta say. But I think um I see the most at those concerts like I did a little tour with Tribe Called Red, who are indigenous fellows from Canada. And uh, whose mother happens to be a feminist icon, Canadian feminist icon, theatre maker, Spider Woman Theatre. And like, it's all right. When it feels really right and you've got a thronging crowd and they're the, th- the times I think it really works and the rise of Indigenous media, Indigenous X, you know, um, Chelsea Bond, the writing that runs out. I, th- I feel like if we're reading more of that all the time, we're almost like shifting the balance from the mainstream. If we're taking that need to read The Sun Herald or Andrew Bolt or whoever, because we can read Amy McGuire and we can read Nakia Louie and we can read the different perspective. Um, we're, we're tilting it and then, the, I mean, it's tricky. Uh, like in South Africa, you need the power, the central dominant power to hand over a little bit, to let people into the faculties. To, to op- The Guardian has to pick up those Indigenous X things for us to feel, you know, same-sex marriage as much as I fucking hated that whole thing, you can't deny that suicide r- rates have gone down, you know. So there has to be acknowledgement on every level. And I think just, I think personally what you can do is choose who you read.
2: Yeah, yeah I I think go, that, Sarah, go. I, I think that, you. Um. yeah, I think that also from like, from a white perspective, I think we need to be really careful when we talk about things like empowerment. And um, yeah, we need to take responsibility for like, how capitalism has taken those ideas and transformed them into this kind of like cult of the self where self-care means like getting massages but it's like no these these words these words come from a very real vulnerability and very real survival and we've turned them into a marketable product and I think we need to be really careful as white people when we talk about empowerment and whether or not we we do need to be empowered like do I need to be self-actualize like or should I be spending my time practicing disappearing and um becoming
3: I just just saw a t-shirt that said (laughs) did I manifest this or is it just white privilege (laughs) Uh,
2: spot on amazing (laughs) yeah but I think we spend a lot of time being like yeah I need yeah my my personal kind of actualization to be the best version of myself it's like maybe we maybe I need to be spending the time making the best version of my community and my society and it's not about me anymore like how can I like become part of an ecology and and lose sight of the individual because you know we're very driven by the individual and I think it's so easy to latch onto those things and apply them to self and being the best version of yourself but it's like
1: yeah, I'm. I'm actually really happy. Is maybe not the best word, but to report that on the first day back of school this term, um, the big key word from every single student was community. It's no longer about me anymore. It's about the community. Oh, they've done
2: it then, easy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, look. <laughs> We'll get them to transition too. Um, We are, I think what we'll do, just because people do have to pack up and go home, um, if you guys have any questions for us as we're kind of milling up and and packing up, please, 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 please do. Um, I suppose one thing that I'd love to say just to kind of finish it off, um, well, a couple of things actually. First of all, a massive thank you to Pavilion for hosting conversations like this. And also, because we've talked about privilege tonight, making them free so that people, everybody, can come. Um, I think that's wonderful. Thank you, M Pavilion. Um, Thank you, of course, to my wonderful panellists this evening for delving into um, the difficult and uncomfortable place of talking to transition, survival, uh, climate crisis. Um, And I I just wanted to say as well, too, that um, I guess from my point of view, I think... um, Certain ways of knowing have been privileged for a very, very long time. And um, it was a wonderful thing for me to be able to gather three female voices... um, And people who delve into practices that don't often get a voice, it was actually something that Sarah said to me, oh my God, you're inviting a dancer to speak. You know, whoa, dancers have... Risky. Risky, (laughs) risky, risky, risky. So I guess I'd ask all of you um, tonight to just think about that. What voices do we preface in these very big conversations? Um, And who else could we get wisdom and knowledge from as we all transition
3: I was going <sighs> to say, it's controversial. I know it's right at the end. Damon, Damon was two years above me when I was at NIDA. Ah. We did a panel a few, uh, maybe a year or two ago, Summit. And um, we had a really interesting conversation because I've been calling out a, a lot of things that happened at NIDA. And actually his wife is in the year under me. And I said to him, because he'd just done the Sugar movie, so he hadn't brought that one out. And I said, Sugar's really big across, you know, black communities. And you have a little bit about Indigenous people, but like Polynesian. Like, You know, it's always tough still coming from you, Damon. Like a Mm. a white, handsome, you know, very fucking privileged. I know personally how privileged. Um, And it's really interesting because I've always, we, we all know each other. Like they will call me my nicknames if Toby Schmidt or Damon or any of those guys were here. But I find it really interesting that it's still his voice that, You know, everybody talks about that. And what you have to do is be more and more curious. Mm. Uh, And that's a really big part of what it feels like to embrace awkwardness is curiosity. Kids do it really well. Mm. Like the questions they asked about the play, none of them I saw coming. And um, so many funny things like, one the bear has hairy armpits, ha ha ha. I'm like, I'm a bear, what you going to do? You know, but... what they think about and what is as important and I think that what we're sort of talking to as well is how do you become curious but also go oh my people we're supposed to be the leaders and I think it must be tough particularly being once again being a white guy when you've got Trump and Scott Morrison and like all these people that you go huh represent right like that's (laughs) fucked so I know what it feels like to be represented one way I can have empathy for that. That empathy has to go both ways. But, yeah, there's also a time where folks, the folks that should be taking us through, because leadership isn't really a term we use in Indigenous circles. It's not even a word, really. There's not really words for it. Um, It's all about moving together and knowing everybody, having a knowledge of where they sit within that. And... um, the, the, I think the trick is just getting through this notion that you're supposed to be something, yeah.
0: I'll definitely echo the curiosity sen- sentiment, like curiosity over um, resistance, for sure.
1: And it's, and it's come up quite a few times, isn't it? It's funny, isn't it? Transitions,
0: more questions,
1: more questions. Thank you very much, everybody, for coming this evening.
0: You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.